The 24 Shades of Blue Cold Case Edition series is about real ongoing homicide investigations. The following conversation may be disturbing to some people and is not recommended for all ages. Please take a moment and decide if you would like to continue listening or watching. Viewer discretion is advised. Hey everybody, welcome to 24 Shades of Blue, Cold Case Edition. I'm your host, Andy O'Brien. Today, our fifth case surrounds a man named Osip Kawun. Um, we sat down with Osip's three sons, Bob, Peter, and Walter uh, Kawun, and, and we wanted to get to know a little bit more about who their father was in his lifetime and also what he meant to the community. Uh, today, I have the head of homicide uh, with me, uh, Steve Smith with Toronto Police Service. How are you, Steve? And thanks for being with us. Great. Thanks for having me, Andy. Before we begin today, I have a clip of Osip's three sons, Bob, Peter, and Walter, I'd like to start with today. But you know, you're asking about generally what he meant to the community. And um, the community it was, it was an interesting community because there were a lot of people coming off night shifts. And he was, before the advent of 7-Elevens and 24-hour uh, shops open, shoppers drug marts being over 24 hours, there just weren't a lot of those kind of establishments around. So if someone's heading home from uh, the midnight shift, the late shift, needs to pick up some cigarettes or needs to pick up milk and eggs, they knew my God would be open for them. And so, yeah, he actually generated a lot of business after, after the evening shift when people would uh, drop by and pick up the necessities for the next day. So he's there for them. People could rely on him being open when they needed something at the last minute. With respect to uh, contributing to the community, and he did financially, any, any uh, large uh, community event that took place, they needed to raise money to be able to uh, to have, have it happen. And so he, he was there prepared to uh, contribute financially. Yeah, he gave to the Ukrainian community for sure. Uh, whenever there was a, a need to, to, to raise funds, like Bob was saying, I remember that as well. And you were mentioning about that $600. Well, you know, these are kind of these little credit slips that we found in the drawer after our, our father uh, was killed as we were going through the store and uh, deciding what to do with it. And there would be a receipt and it would be for a few bucks and the individuals would sign their name on the back. And there was a whole lot of them, I remember. And I think it added up to roughly about $600. And that, uh, you know, people didn't have a few bucks to pay for their stuff. So he gave them credit. And uh, that's just the way it was. So I think after hearing that clip, um, elaborate a little bit more from your end in the, in the police side of what was, um, what was Ossip's life, uh, like leading up to, um, his murder? Absolutely. Uh, Osip was 77 years old and he was a shopkeeper. He, uh, he ran the Annette food market at 238 Annette street. And as you heard from his sons, uh, it was a community hub, the area at that time, very blue collar. A lot of shift workers, people come in all hours of the days and nights. And Osip had his store open and ready for these people. Give give them whatever they needed. If they're they were going home to get a few hours sleep before they go back to work, they need a bag of milk or, or whatever. He was open. He he would stay open till midnight, and then he'd stay in the store for two three hours after that. And if people he knew came and needed something, he'd open up, let them in, and he'd he'd give them whatever he needed. He was very generous. I mean, he would if 
someone came and they were down on their luck, they needed 20 bucks, he'd give them the 20 bucks. As you heard, if they needed something for home, milk, whatever, yeah. um, he would provide them a credit and, and let them take what they needed. He was, he, he was just a good community leader at the time. And so unfortunately, um, you know, this, this could have led to his demise. Um, this was what, let's talk a little bit about the, the crime and when it unfolded and just a little bit about what led up to uh, Osip's last moments. It would have been about 1238 at night. So he most likely would have had the, the doors to the store closed. So we're thinking that he knew his attacker uh, that may have came to the door needing something, whatever that was, whether it was 20 bucks, whether it was a pack of smokes, we don't really know, but it, it appears as though OSIP let this person in and whether there was uh, an intoxication, whether there was a mental health issue, whether there was both, obviously something went wrong or OSIP wasn't willing to give this person as much as they wanted from him. And uh, he unfortunately attacked OSIP with a, an axe that was in the store and, and uh, bludgeoned him to death. So was there any forced entry? No, there didn't appear to be forced entry. That's why we believe in that area and through the market that uh, Mr. Kawoon would have known his attacker. Um, he probably would have been somebody living in the area. Uh, he may have been marginalized. He may have uh, had addiction problems and OSIP was trying to help him. We're not really sure, but we believe that he knew his attacker at the time. And let's talk a little bit about the address here, um, just so we can kind of set the perimeters. So where was the store located? Uh, 238 Annette Street. So down in Annette and Bloor area. Annette and Bloor. Okay. Yeah. It's West Side. That's right. West Side of Toronto. So how this really unfolded was we're talking between 1230 and 1.30 a.m., um, is that what you believe in around, in and around? In around that. Yeah. Okay. It, it was about 1238 that, uh, Osip's wife heard the commotion and came downstairs to find him in a pool of blood. So she heard, she, she heard a commotion in the store. What yeah. did she hear? Do you, do, what did she say? She, it wasn't really specific, but she just said she heard some sort of commotion, a little bit of yelling, a little bit of shuffling around. She decided to come down and, and investigate what was going on. So she came out and she found Osip, uh, beaten to death. And he was, from what I understand from speaking with the brothers, he was a pretty stocky, strong guy. So he wouldn't have just went down without a, uh, without a fight. So that's, that's probably what she heard, I guess was, was there any signs of defense wounds? I mean, it, it appears that he was surprised by the strike by at least the first strike to the head. Um, and that probably would have incapacitated him with the, the back of an ax. I mean, who knows how much he took at 77 years old. He was still a strong man. And that may have, have, have led to his death where if someone came in and said, you know, if Osip had given him 20 bucks and said on your way and the guy's like, I want 40 and Osip may have been, you know what? I gave you 20. It's time for you to go. And that, that could have started what happened. There was no sign of robbery. No, there was nothing that we found that was missing. Um, saying that there could have been some cash or something. We're not really a hundred percent sure on that, but nothing, was logistically missing that we had we had seen no, in the store. Typically in a store like that, cigarettes, any tobacco oh, type products, absolutely. lottery tickets, yeah, cash out of the register, none of that was gone. No. So if it if it was the intent was robbery, there would have been a lot more missing at the time. We that's why we believe that he knew the offender. He had probably let him in and was probably actually trying to help the person at the time that he was murdered. Because it definitely sounds strange that there was nothing taken at that that late at night. That's right. And that shows a bit of erratic behavior as well, right? You you're, you're murder someone over, over what? 
you you aren't taking anything. You obviously don't need anything. If it's just to get your next fix or whatever, you're going to murder a person over that. Do you think that it was, if you're not taking anything, even, even getting your fix, um, could this have been something a little bit more personal or do we think that this may have been something where this could also sound, this sounds like either somebody that was, um, you know, dealing with, as you say, mental health issues or maybe coming down off a drug and this just went really bad. What do you, what do you think happened in that story? I know it's all speculation really, but, but what do you think happened? Yeah. I mean, it is all speculation unless we find this person and actually talk to them, but I think you're right. I think you're, you're pretty much on key there. I'm guessing that this person was probably in need of their next fix. And I mean, we've all seen people when they're on the drugs, they can be a bit erratic. When they're off the drugs and need the drugs again, they can be violent and, and scary, really. It's a, it's a scary time when they're, they're in desperate need of the drugs and they, they'll do whatever they need to to get that next fix. Because it sounds like the type of, when we look at, you know, you see that obviously there was an ax used multiple times, probably used well after he was incapacitated that almost tells you that there's a a real source of rage there. And I'm wondering if, um, you know, is this something, do you think this was something that was more deliberate? Is this something that, uh, maybe he angered somebody? Is there any, do you think it was something personal or is this just totally random? You know, in my opinion, I don't think that it was a planned attack. I mean, it was, it it would have been sloppy for a planned attack. Uh, My guess is, as we discussed that he had come into the store, he was looking for something specific, whether that was a free pack of smokes, whether it was $20, whether it was more credit, we don't really know. Um, and then from there, uh, if OSA may have ha- helped them to a certain extent and then said, you're not getting any more. And it, it could have angered this person at that point. They, they attacked him with the ax. Um, they may not even have meant to kill him. It may have been, you know, an argument, a fight, he struck him and didn't realize how hard he had actually struck him. And then at that point, knowing that Mr. Kuhn probably knew who he was and would be able to identify him to the police, he may have went overboard. The only thing that jumps out at me though, where I, you know, my, the red flags go off a little bit is the amount of times that he was hit, you know, because even if, you know, someone were to hit somebody by accident and realized, Oh geez, you maybe like you said earlier, maybe they can identify me one or two more, but I think, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but this seemed like it was a real bludgeoning. This was a real, um, rage type attack. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, we're, we're talking rational people, right? And I mean, like we said, this may have involved mental health. It may have involved addiction issues. Um, and once the attack started, maybe this person had anger issues as well. And just, you know, they did, they just flew off the handle in a, in a, in a fit of rage and, and continued the attack. Steve, one thing I think uh, we should talk about now is the, the murder weapon. Um, let's talk about what happened here and, and the murder weapon. Yeah, I mean, it was it was an axe from the store and it was left at the scene. So there wasn't, the offender didn't take, he didn't try to cover his tracks. He left the weapon there. We recovered the weapon. We've we've tested the weapon. Okay. And, uh, and obviously it had Mr. Kuhn's blood on it. And uh, luckily enough in the, the, the chaos of the scene that was left behind, um, we were able to find a, a small portion of uh, a blood from the offender as well. Okay. Was there any fingerprints on the axe handle? No. I mean, the axe handle, 
the way the axe handles are a bit rough, they aren't ideal for fingerprints. Um, so unfortunately, we, do, we don't have any fingerprints from the handle. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about, so the, um, so Osip was hit, you feel he had his back turned, he was hit in the back of the head, Un, he didn't, he obviously wasn't expecting that blow, and then I guess he had maybe fell to the ground, and then he was repeatedly hit over and over. Yeah, that's our theory, is it that he was, he was taken by surprise, uh, the first strike, probably dropped him to the ground and then then the the flurry just continued um whatever set off the offender at this point we don't really know but i mean obviously it it set him off to the point where he he went into a complete rage yeah and had and repeatedly hit him with the 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 blunt side of the of the act that's right yeah he wasn't chopping him like you would chop wood he was striking him um blunt force with the back of the axe and so when he was found uh, it was his wife that had uh, had found him. Correct. She obviously had heard the uh, the commotion, came out and found uh, Mr. Kwoon in his in the pool of blood, um, obviously in invisible distress. And we had talked about you know the fact that um, things were uh, stole not stolen. Um, so this was a case of. Um, Really, I, I we we were discussing prior to the the uh, the podcast here, but this is really potentially a case of just somebody that may have been coming down from drugs, um, some type of you know transient in the in the area. Let's talk about what what the police think may have happened here. Yeah, I mean, we obviously believe that this person was a resident of the area at the time, and as we've talked about, we believe that that they knew each other because. Um, the store was usually closed around midnight. Okay. It was locked up, but uh, Osip would stay inside to for another couple hours in case people coming home that night needed needed something from the store. He'd open it up, uh, sell them whatever they needed. People that he knew. So, in our theory, we believe that he knew the person that had came to the door, and that's why he opened them and let them in in the first place. And at that point, Ed, we're talking between twelve thirty and one thirty, roughly. At, it, you feel that he did let the individual in because he was closed up around midnight. Exactly. We believe that he did let him in. Um, so that leads us to believe that he was, he was comfortable with this person. Um, now, whether this was one of the people that, that had owed him money, um, we're not really sure. Or is this person that Mr. Kawoon would give money to on an, on an off, you know, because they needed it. Um, yeah. we're not really sure. We're not sure what, what provoked this person to attack, uh, someone that was, in all essence, good to him. Yeah, and I mean, and and it's such a strange case because typically, you know, when someone was attacked to this level, you know, it's either personal um, or it was, you know, a robbery gone wrong or they had done something really bad and they wanted to completely cover their tracks from, you know, future charges. This just seems it like it was senseless and sporadic. And there's no rhyme or reason to it at all. Yeah, I mean, whether it was pure panic after the first strike, um, we're not really sure. But to hit somebody that many times, you know, know, that's what throws me off about this case. I know, but we're thinking rationally, right? If someone's not rational, if they're, you know, intoxicated or they're they're suffering a mental illness and and they've gone into a rage, um, they aren't thinking what they're doing at the time. And afterwards, they may look back and go, oh my God, like, I can't believe that I actually did that. And we're so many years down the road now there's people that, that are going to know who did this. And I think too, that, um, in, so this individual more than likely as you, you know, um, 
he knew who they were. So this individual did live in the area. You're you're pretty convinced of that. Yeah, absolutely. I believe that this person lived in the area and had frequented the the mart on a number of occasions. Because if so if this individual was in the area and let's say they were, you know, coming down from a drug or they were, you know, suffering from a mental uh, episode, what do you think the chance of them telling other people this. In every single one of these cases, we believe that there's people, there's other people that know. Like if, if you murdered someone in cold blood, they would have to get that out. Um, whether again, you know, it's at a point of intoxication or whether it's a point of just relieving yourself of the guilt of what you've done. Um, you're going to talk to people, you're going to talk to probably multiple people, I would think. So there are people that know who committed this crime. And I mean, we're talking about 1993, right? We are. So was there any, uh, let's talk about the DNA for a second. So you found blood at the scene. In terms of the DNA, what do we know about the individual that that committed this crime? We believe that it's a a male white individual. Um, After that, we don't know a whole lot right now. That's about the extent that that we know um, from the DNA. We're looking at doing further testing. Um, There's a few things that we need from science to help us out on that. Um, we're hoping in the next six months or so we've we've got a little bit of a leg up. Because there was no cameras. Because when we look, and for our viewers at home, you can see the store here. Um, let's talk about the street here. Was there a lot of other stores along the street? How well lit was it? Let's talk a little bit about the setting. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a typical downtown Toronto street, right? You have a couple little stores. You have a lot of residents. You have uh, um, apartments, you have uh, single family homes, you have uh, multifamily homes. Uh, it's a whole variety in the area. But it, I mean, it's it's a very nice area. And like we said, it's a, it was very blue collar at the time. A lot of people coming home at all hours of the day and night. There was people on the streets. There's people, you know, driving up and down the streets. Uh, there'd be people out, you know, it, it's Toronto at 1230 at night. Um, even though it's it's January, there would still be people out and about. And he was such a good man too, and known as Mister Thank You. Um, That's right. You know, and to see this happen to uh, to an individual like to any individual, but specifically an individual who is really a pillar in their community, um, it's really it's saddening. And to to think that um, this individual was murdered and nobody knows anything. There has to be people out there that know about this offense. Absolutely. And I'm sure it's people that lived in the area at the time. And I'm sure there's people that, that had a personal relationship with Mr. Kaboon at the time. And as we've discussed that they may not have wanted to come forward then, but things are different now. And they're, they need to provide us with the name of the person that did this. If there's any message to the community or the perpetrator or individuals that had heard from the murder suspect, the murderer, um, is there any message you have for those individuals? Absolutely. Let us know. I mean, we need to provide closure for Mr. Kuhn's family, uh, a hardworking individual, pillar of the community, helping out the community. I mean, he would stay two, three hours after his store closed just to make sure that nobody went without. And uh, as a community, we let him down as we didn't, nobody came forward and nobody provided the name of the person that murdered him. So we can fix that. We don't need witnesses. We just need a name. We need to, we need to know who committed this crime. Yeah. It's time to step up. I mean, this made national coverage, you know, um, this individual was a good person, didn't deserve what happened to him. 
and and people know what happened. So I think it's time for the community to step up. It's time for people to 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 make a difference and 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 give some closure um, to Bob, Peter, and Walter. Um, uh, you know, we have a clip from the Coon Brothers, um, and and uh, the person uh, they have a message for the individual that may have committed this crime. Your your actions affected people greatly. Um, it's been many years that we've wondered what's happened. So we'd like to know uh, what happened. For me, I would probably say to the person, uh, there was no reason to take a person's life, whether it be a robbery or just, you know, a bad debt or whatever it was. But I can't see it being, you know, something bad that happened that he was willing, he or she was willing to kill our father. You know, it's hard to put this into words. So I think um, after hearing the clip, uh, Steve, what's your take? You've, you've spoke with the brothers before, I'd imagine. Um, what's, your, what's your take from there on? This is, you can hear in their voice, this is devastating to them. I mean, they, they were kids at the time, basically, and their father was taken from them, right? Um, they were just starting out in their lives. And I mean, to have your dad who they obviously admired, um, they, they admired his hard work. They admired how he's made a life for himself in Toronto, um, everything that he stood for. And that was taken from them in, in a matter of minutes by, by someone that we don't know why. And we, we just don't understand why this happened. Um, it doesn't appear to be a robbery. It was probably over something very menial. Trivial. And yeah. it's just a horrific event. So we need to provide the, the family with closure. Yeah, and I'm going to put the picture up one more time. If you have any information um, that can help bring closure to the families, please reach out to Toronto Homicide. To Steve, you can even reach out anonymously to our show. All we need is a name. We have DNA. And you can help put some closure to this case. Thanks for joining us.